Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. Guys, we hope you're doing well. We hope you're enjoying this beautiful fall weather wherever it is you're listening from. We are certainly doing that here in our new hometown of Franklin, Tennessee. One of the first interviews that we recorded here in our new office in Franklin was today's guest. We are so excited to share this episode with you. One of our favorite Bible teachers and best-selling authors, Gary Thomas. Gary has literally written over 20 books. One of the books he's most known for is Sacred Marriage and Sacred Pathways. He is an amazing guy. We had such a great conversation. He's making such a big impact in people's lives, and we're excited to talk about his brand new book today called... When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic Relationships. Wow, this one was a big one. Gary helps us identify the toxic relationships in our lives that are stealing our joy and how to know when to hang on and when it's time to walk away. If you're interacting with someone and it is a constant drain that you need to recover from, you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep thinking about them. If they're stealing from your healthy relationships, you're with your spouse, you're with your kids, but you're not. Your thoughts have been captivated. It just doesn't make sense. And, and just that angst that you feel, that's a good instance that you have a toxic person. Gary also shares with us how to set healthy boundaries to protect our calling, how to love and serve the difficult people in our life, and how to silence the inner critic within ourselves. We really did have a great conversation with Gary, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. So without further ado, here is Gary. All right, well, Gary, welcome to the show. We are so, so glad that you're here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you guys. Well, okay, so you've written another book that I believe is going to impact so many people's lives. We talked about in the intro, you have written a ton, impacted a lot of people's lives, impacted our life, and we're really excited to dive into this brand new book. It's called When to Walk Away. I love the subtitle, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. But before we jump into the book, can you help our audience understand a little bit who Gary is and what you're all about? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had the great honor, I think, and just pleasure. I grew up in a great home and became a Christian at eight years old. So I really don't have much conscious memory of life apart from God, which is, I I think, one of the things I treasure most in my life. I got married very young. I was just 22. My wife was almost 20. I can't bear to say I married a 19-year-old, but she (laughs) was Almost 20 sounds so much better. (laughs) (laughs) We we have three grown children in different parts of the country. I have been a writer most of my adult life, in large part because I have a very limited skill set. There's really (laughs) nothing you would pay me to do if people didn't like to read my books or listen to me speak. So I'm glad that worked out. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been a part on a teaching team at a church down in, in Houston, Texas for about the last nine years, but still do a lot of traveling, speaking, and, and writing. And the marriage theme sort of took over my writing 
for almost a decade just because of sacred marriage. It just kind of took off. And this is sort of that bridge book that still takes us into the deeper Christian life, but great impact on relationships and, and how we need to protect ourselves from perhaps toxic relationships. Okay, wait, though. Okay. Are there grandkids involved? In the, that's, <laughs> one, that's the big... In fact, one! Wow! She's four months old. The chosen one. <laughs> I, I know, look, before I had grandkids, I just didn't get it when people would want me to see pictures of their grandkids. And once you experience it, yeah, I, I've told people, you never know what it's going to be like until you hold your own kids in your hands, it's, right. as you guys have experienced oh, yeah. so five times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing all over with grandparenting. It's just... When I was with my son and he's singing, I think, Amazing Grace or something to my granddaughter to put her to sleep. The layers of love because you've got your son, (laughs) your granddaughter singing to your God. I mean, I I could live with that memory for the rest of my life. Oh, that's so wonderful. So good. Awesome. So good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yes. I'm glad you're a grandparent. We like to have lots of grandparents on because you guys have all the wisdom. We mm. want to learn all we can. <laughs> we want to soak it all up. So we're, we're so glad you're here. So today we're talking about specifically knowing when to walk away from toxic relationships. And I have to imagine diving into a topic like this, there has to be one or two personal stories behind the motivation to write something like this. So tell us all about that and what led you to dive into this topic. Yeah, I, I've been a people pleaser most of my life. And I've only focused on, not, I think what you would say, plain offense. The thought is, if I knew God's word backward and forward, if I was surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, if I gained experience and had the right attitude and I was prayerful, that everybody would see the wisdom of Jesus and they would just, oh, yes, that's right, and everything. And if things went bad, it was just, what did I say wrong? Why did I cause offense? Is there compromise in my life? Was I not hearing God correctly? And when I was running up against a truly toxic situation where I just didn't understand why the person was doing what he did, a wiser friend of mine, he's been in ministry and marriage and family therapy now for almost four decades, just an incredible guy, just said, Gary, I I want you to go through the book of Luke and count how many times Jesus walked away from somebody or let somebody walk away from him. And I'm not clinically OCD, but I live in the neighborhood right next door to it. (laughs) So when a counselor says to do that for Luke, I'm going to do it for all four Gospels, right? So I did. I came up with 41 instances where Jesus' interaction with somebody, he walked away or he let somebody walk away from him. Now, you know, because of the synoptic Gospels, the three that Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, some of those are speaking about the same instance. But it still left over two dozen times where an interaction with Jesus didn't result in the other person being changed. In fact, the other person trying to hurt Jesus and Jesus walking away or just rejecting Jesus. I, I got to tell you guys, it was life changing for mm-hmm. me. And I, I realized it was rooted in pride. I had this I'm embarrassed to say it, but this false messianic thought that if I could just have this great, powerful life in Christ, everybody would be transformed. And when I realized that didn't happen for the real Messiah, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen for me. And it completely focused how I looked at ministry. So then going through the scriptures with my eyes open with the fact that Jesus walked away so often to let others walk away, I, I just started seeing 
instance after instance, teaching after teaching falling in place, I felt like I put on a pair of glasses and could finally read scripture clearly in a way I had just been blinded to before. Wow. That's so incredible. Well, first off, thank you, God, that he gave you that. And thank you for the your friend to give you that advice. You're like, hey, thanks a lot. You just helped me write my next book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know it at the time. It was really throwing me a life preserver. But then in time, I realized this needs to get out there. Right. Okay. So let's, let's just get real practical here. How do we know when we're in a toxic situation with someone or just someone who needs like a little bit more of a, of our attention? How do you kind of find the balance between those two things? I'll do it general. If we want to get more specific, we can. But in general, I think if you're interacting with someone and it is a constant drain that you need to recover from, (laughs) you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep thinking about them, your heartbeat goes up by 50% if you get a text or a phone call. Mm. They're draining you have to recover. And here's the thing. If they're stealing from your healthy relationships, you're with your spouse, you're with your kids, but you're not. You know what I mean? Your your, your thoughts have been captivated. It just doesn't make sense. And, and just that angst that you feel. And, and here's how it can be so funny. And Chris, this is what, <laughs> what hit me so much. I was talking to a couple. This is an accomplished couple with a national ministry. He's a type A He's been a success his whole life, knocked it out in sports, knocked it out in ministry. The wife is very accomplished, wonderful. I mean, Jenny, she's a lot like you. I mean, she can do just about everything. And they had somebody from their church ring their doorbell. They both dropped to the floor. (laughs) Don't say anything. Be quiet. Maybe she won't look through the window. But you know what? Toxic people always look through the window. So if you've got a relationship like that in your life where you're almost embarrassed of how you respond and and trying to get away, that's a good instance that you have a toxic person. That's good. Well, okay. So I know we're all thinking of somebody. As soon as you started going through those those specific um, factors – immediately people come to mind. And I just, you know, I I was reading through your book. I know people listening are thinking, aren't we called to help the broken and the hurting? Like, give us some more specific ways that you saw Jesus handle these, these types of situations. How do we really know when someone just needs a little bit of extra love and attention and when they're actually a toxic relationship that we need to walk away from? Yeah, there, there are two things. You know, I come from the Pacific Northwest. We were talking before. I've been in Texas now for nine years, but I grew up in Washington State, which in the west side is known justifiably for its rain. But in the east side, it's known for apples. A lot of people know Washington State apples. If you're going to have great apples, the farmer has to do a whole lot of pruning. And as I was giving that description of toxic people, I bet – some names came to mind. And and it could have even been the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you really need to do some pruning in your life. But what, what you said is true. It sounds so cruel. Well, if pruning people out of your life sounds cruel, let me just read from John 15, 1. Jesus speaking, saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. God himself is in a process of weaning out 
unfruitful workers, people that are pretenders and aren't doing it. So that's the first thing. I I think when I grew up, I grew up in a faith. I'm, I'm so grateful for the faith I grew up in, the church my parents raised me in. But I grew up with a sense of holiness that was defined by what you don't do. I'm holier than you because I don't do more things than you do. <laughs> and I, I don't look at this or say that or watch that or, you know, all of that. When Jesus describes holiness, half of it is fruitfulness. Are you bearing fruit? Paul says to Timothy and Titus, are you devoted to good works? Jesus had that famous parable about, you know, that the tree wasn't producing fruit. And he says, I'm going to cut it down. And the guy says, no, let me water it. Let me irrigate. Let me prune it. Let's see if we can make it grow. But the real verse that I think answers this, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling his disciples how to have the most impactful life. And here's what he says. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Mm. Now, if you don't understand holiness as fruitfulness, bearing fruit, loving where you can, influencing who you can— investing in faithful, reliable people who will continue to reach out to others. This almost seems like a cruel verse. How could Jesus say, how could Jesus call somebody a spiritual pig? How could Jesus call somebody a spiritual dog? But if you're looking for a strategic life, wanting to make the most, the biggest impact, this verse is gold because what Jesus is saying is there are some people, you can give them something so valuable. A pearl in the first century, it was so much rarer than it is today. They didn't have synthetic pearls. That's why Jesus said a man sold all he had for one pearl. I mean, you wouldn't see string of pearls like we see today. So when, when he's saying you're giving them this very, very valuable commodity, and a pig not only doesn't appreciate it, the pig resents it because the pig can't eat it. They'll spit it out. And then he says he'll turn and tear you to pieces. And Jesus is warning his workers, I don't want you to be torn into pieces. I, I want you to serve me. But in one sense, a little bit of self-defense so that you're not unnecessarily eliciting anger and persecution and hatred and attacks. You say, I, it, it's my desire to spare you from that. Another way I put it is if, if the listeners could understand how incredibly important their life can be, not because of who they are, but because of who God is in them. The message of Jesus is the message everybody needs to hear, regardless of age, class, society, country, ethnicity, anything. It is the most important message. The power of the Holy Spirit within them, God working through them, if they get into that, if they understand that, every person can live a tremendously consequential life. And so how do we make the most use of that life. And so the image I've used sometimes is like a, a battlefield surgeon performing triage. You think of D-Day when the surgeons would go, they're following the soldiers and it was such carnage that some of them would come up to a guy and they realized he was going to die. They really couldn't save him. So they would paint an M on his forehead and shoot him up with morphine. They did the M so he wouldn't be given a second dose that would kill him. And then they would go try to find those that could yet be saved. 
And, and it seems harsh, but the reality is if you spend an hour with a guy who isn't going to make it, you might lose three or four other people who would. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus said that we don't have enough workers. He said, pray for the Lord of the harvest. We need more workers. So, so we want every worker to be effective, and we have to make that spiritual calculation. Has God prepared this heart? Is this person open to the truth? Or will they just resent it? Are they so toxic, they'll be upset with us for sharing it. And not only will it not help them, they're going to turn and and tear us to pieces. And we'll be discouraged. And we're going to lose our peace. We're going to lose our joy. We're going to lose our spiritual strength. And in the end, fewer are saved. Wow, so good. And you know, I want to talk about here in a second on, on how do we actually exit one of those relationships. What does that look like? But I, I know somebody's listening going, yeah, but the toxic person is my boss, is my yeah. mom, right. is my, you know, fill in the blank. They're like, you can't walk away. how do yeah. I walk away? That's so good. so what are your thoughts there and what does that look like? Well, there are a couple different ways to do that. One, I would say, particularly when you have kids the age that, that yours are. I, I remember working with a guy who was in an office situation with a toxic person and he just couldn't get away. The toxic person haunted him. Now, he needed a job, so he couldn't just leave before he had another job. Right, but right. if you're in a situation with a coworker and the boss isn't taking care of it, I just think life is too short mm-hmm. to put up with that. Now, sometimes you can't walk away. So let, let me give you an example of a woman who was in a toxic work environment, but she ended up staying. She's in an industry where... Women uh, are not treated well. Women weren't in leadership until rather recently. And there's still some guys, they talk like troglodytes, if I could use it. I mean, it's just like, is this 2019? I mean, they sound like they're in 1949, the way they talk. Now, not her CEO. That's the thing. Her CEO respects her and, and, and whatnot. And how she's learned to manage it is that she said, number one, She's got really strong, healthy relationships. She she feels like she has the resources to be beaten up a little bit, if I could use that phrase during the day, because in the evenings and weekends, she's built back up again. And the reason she does that is she says, I feel like I'm sort of this trailblazer for other women. She thinks of her little sister. She goes, if I just flee, then all these other women, they're going to have to fight the battles the mm, other time. That's good. And, and where she's done it is that, that she said this, number one, I realize it's his problem, not mine. If somebody's a people pleaser, they take it personally as if this, he has bad breath, so I'm, there must be something wrong with my nose. And, and I'd say, no, th- th- there's nothing wrong with your nose. The problem is with his breath. And so she's one of those that she can compartmentalize him. She goes, Gary, I feel sorry for him. Because I know he can't have an intimate relationship with a girlfriend or a wife if that's the way he thinks about women, if that's the way he talks to women. And and she says, I've also found they tend to be very insecure mm-hmm. that if you get joy out of lying about somebody and undercutting somebody and comparing yourself, she goes, that's that's not a good life. And, and so she's able to do it, I think, because of her spiritual strength. Uh, Her other relationships are strong, and she's learned how to compartmentalize them. In other situations, I would just say, boy, life is short, and if you can't be a devoted spouse and parent, I think when we walk away, we should. Now, I do have a chapter on 
Jesus with Judas because that's that's the one thing. While Jesus walked away from dozens of people, he lived with a toxic person named Judas. And he had to allow Judas to remain. Ultimately, he needed to be betrayed to go to the cross. That does not in any way excuse Judas for what he did. But there were three lessons I picked up on how Jesus handled Judas. And I think this will be particularly helpful for those that have extended families that might have some toxic people in them. The first thing on how Jesus handled living with a toxic person was that he didn't view his mission as stopping toxic people from sinning. Hmm. We know that Judas was a thief because he said to the woman who poured the wine, the ointment over Jesus, what, what, you know, that's such a waste. You should sell it and give the money to the poor. And John explains he said that not because he cared about the poor. He used to pilfer from that person. He just wanted more money to grab from. If John knew that Judas was a thief, Jesus knew that Judas was a thief. But Jesus didn't speak up. Jesus didn't stop Judas from every act of theft. And why? Well, he had bigger things to do. He's launching the kingdom of God. He's investing in 11 other reliable people. And when you're at a family gathering and you've got that obnoxious relative or the uncle who brings a woman half of his age after he's you know, left your aunt or, or, or the teen that's just wrecked his life or something, and it's not your obligation to be detective, prosecuting attorney, judge, and jury. It's freeing. The issue isn't usually one sin anyway. It's their alienation from God. So if you can be in an office setting or a family gathering and you can let it go, you can say, you know what, that, that's not the issue just because I see it. I don't need to address it. If it's your child, yeah. If it's your spouse, of course. If you have a strong relationship with a best friend, absolutely. But just because we see the problem in a toxic person doesn't mean we have to put it out. Secondly, Jesus didn't let Judas's toxicity become his. When you're working with a toxic person, one of the things that's so miraculous about Jesus is, well, if you use another analogy, remember how he could touch the lepers without becoming leprous. Mm-hmm. See, that, that's what astonished the people. How do you touch a leprous person not become leprous? Well, in a spiritual way, I'm never more tempted to become toxic than when I'm interacting with a toxic person. They're famously controlling. They just want to control you. Well, I want to control somebody who's controlling me. They're murderous of people's peace and reputation and time. And so when somebody's doing that to me, I want to do that back to them. But Jesus didn't do that. He loved on Judas. He washed his feet until Judas left him at the very end. Jesus didn't let Judas's toxicity become his. But then, this is the last thing. What I love is that Jesus spoke the truth to crazy. (laughs) Toxic people are masters at gaslighting. I think most people know that these days, but just in case, gaslighting is when you make somebody feel like they are going crazy for stating what is true, Hmm. for seeing things clearly, and they try to make you think, no, you just are mistaken, and you feel like you're losing your sanity because how could this be going on? Well, Judas comes up and tries to betray Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus calls him out. He goes, seriously? Well, he didn't say seriously, but (laughs) he goes – you're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? That That's what we're doing here? And so what happens is that when I'm dealing with a toxic person, I don't have to pretend they're not toxic. 
I don't have to act like what they're doing is okay or they're just misguided. I can call them out. I'm not going to point out every individual sin, but basically, um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, are, truth. the truth, <laughs> yeah. and the lie. So we live by the truth. We speak the truth. We don't have to go along with lies because I've just found there's something about toxic people. I got to tell you, they are dedicated to make you believing their lies it's yeah. just unbelievable how yeah. zealous they are to do that that will make us go crazy we don't have to go there that's so good okay so we've figured out who in our life is toxic who needs our help which relationships we need to walk away from how do we walk away what's the right way to respond the best defense that we have against toxic people is twofold one if my life is filled investing in reliable people, uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a trained you know, therapist. And so this book really isn't about psychological freedom, although that's a good thing. It's about how do we maintain our mission before the Lord? If I'm doing what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, and doing what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, when he says to Timothy, here's a young guy in ministry, find reliable people. Another translation would use faithful, but find the faithful or reliable people. Everything I've told you, you're to invest in them and, and tell them. So if you have positive relationships, if you're pouring yourself into your children, if you're mentoring a few people, if God has given you another ministry, the best defense against toxic people is to realize I don't have time to be distracted by these mind games, by these attacks. It's clear you don't like me, so why don't we just go our own way? I, I, I want to focus on my kids. I want to focus on my spouse. I want to focus on the ministry that God has given me. So having the positive that you're devoted to makes you feel less guilty about you know walking away from the unproductive encounters. And the second thing is you need the skill because here's what toxic people love to say. They will do something horrendous and then come back and when you call them to account, they'll say, you haven't forgiven me, have you? Aren't Christians supposed to forgive? Their entire Bible is judge not lest you be judged. Mm. Uh, that, that's about the only verse that they have have memorized. And so I, I've seen it with parents that have kids of, about your age where the dad was an alcoholic and a physical abuser. The mom was a, just verbally abusive. And they had lost their kids because of that. But now their kids are having grand, their kids, so they're having grandkids for them. And they're thinking, oh, we get a do-over, right? We've blown it with our kids. We're going to have it with our grandkids. The drinking hadn't been addressed. The anger and the vitriol hadn't been addressed. So they're saying, hey, when do we get a sleepover with the kids? And he said, quite rightly, the son that's never going to happen. Mm. And the dad comes back, oh, you haven't forgiven us, have you? If you'd forgiven us, you'd let us watch your kid. I thought Christians were supposed to forgive. Well, <laughs> it wasn't about forgiveness. As you guys clearly understand, it was about it was still not safe for them to do that. And he didn't really care if his son was acting like a Christian. He was trying to use Jesus as a tool to get his son to do what he wanted him to do because toxic people are controlling. They live to control others. So I, I think you've got to have that, be prepared for that. Aren't Christians supposed to? And, and here's the tool. Just say, you know what? If you don't think I'm acting like a Christian, I appreciate your prayers, but this is what we're going to do. I just think you waste your time. 
arguing with a toxic person. They want to control you. And, and I've learned that part of that control is they just want more of your time. And when you realize it's not even worthy of argument, don't argue. It's what Jesus said with the Pharisees. Jesus for Pilate, when he wouldn't even speak, is just like, look, I know what's going to happen here. L let's just get to it. <laughs> My time matters. Your time matters. Let's, right. let's just not play games. And then finally, for me spiritually, the book of Nehemiah changed my life in this because it's filled with toxic attacks. But the last verse in Nehemiah is so inspiring when Nehemiah says, remember me with favor, my God. And what I love about that is you've read a book of people attacking Nehemiah, accusing him of selfish motivation. You just want to make yourself a king, accusing him of all kinds of awful things. And in the end, he's been accused by so many toxic people. Nehemiah comes to the conclusion, you know what? They're never going to speak well of me on Facebook. Twitter's never going to love me. That blogger will challenge me until the day I die. But in the end... God, I want to be remembered with favor by you. And if I give in to a toxic person, I'm disappointing my heavenly father. If I let a toxic person control me, I'm no longer following Jesus as Lord. I'm letting this toxic woman be my Lord. And so, God, I want to be delivered from what not only what they say about me, but what they think about me and what they get others to think about me. Because in the end, what matters is that God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What God thinks of our actions, what God thinks of our words, not what the toxic people say about us or to us. That's so good. Upset the right people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Well, one last thing I have to ask. Sometimes the most toxic voices are not coming from other people. They're actually coming from inside our own heads. Can you, you talk about that in the book? And I loved that chapter. For somebody who's tends to be a little hard on myself, um, that just helped me so much. And I would love for you to just spend a minute talking about that. How do we silence those critical, negative, toxic voices that are coming inside of our own heads? Jenny, thank you for, for going there. I, I think it's the key thing. Because in the end, if we want to see a less toxic world, the two ways that we can do it is first not to be toxic ourselves to others. Yeah. But this is where I think even as Christians, we can be terrible. We're toxic to ourselves. Mm. And a key time in my life was when I felt the Lord challenging me that I should not say anything to myself that I wouldn't say to someone else. That's good. Mm. I, I shame myself. I slam myself. I speak in discouraging words that I would never say to my kids. I would never say it to my spouse. And here's why the people listening to us, please, I hope that you will hear this. If you could know how much God loves you, how much he delights in you, how much it hurts him to see others bully you, attack you, tear you apart, be toxic toward you. It hurts him just as much when you bully yourself. It hurts him just as much when you are toxic to yourself. He loves you. He wants to encourage you. He can use you. His grace covers every mess that you've gotten yourself into. And so it's actually an act of worship to build yourself up rather than to tear yourself down. And for me, there's a great book of Jude, who's actually a brother of Jesus. And in that very thing, he starts out saying that we are called, we are loved, we are kept. That's in Jude 1. There's no chapter, so it's yeah. first verse. We're called, we're loved, and we're kept. And where that encourages me 
is that I finally decided only scripture gets to call me names. I don't let other people call me names. I don't call myself names because sometimes I don't feel very lovable. Mm. But Jude says, no, you are loved. Mm. And, and then I think, okay, I've disqualified myself for ministry. You know, I, I wrote a book a couple years back on Everybody Matters, and I was qualifying for Boston. I was in marathon shape. I mean, I was pretty lean at the time. And then I moved to Houston, the land of steak and Tex-Mex. Oh, the barbecue. Oh, yeah. And, and Jenny, you know, the heat and humidity in yes. Houston that makes it difficult <laughs> to go for those long runs. And I proceed to gain three or four pounds a year, which is fine for a few years. It's not so fine for nine years. And <laughs> And so, I, you know, how, how could I even speak on this? Because I still get asked to speak on it. But here's the thing. Regardless of what I've done, I'm called. Mm. Because of the truth of the message and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I, I'm still called. Everybody listening is called. If you committed your worst sin this morning, you're still called. God can still use you. You repent. Maybe he'll use your testimony from that. But we're always called to be a Christian, to be called. And then to be kept means we're safe. And ultimately, I'm kept safe in the love of Jesus Christ. If somebody attacks my reputation, well, what really matters is, is my reputation with God. He, he's going to protect me where I need to be protected. He's going to make sure nothing happens to me that doesn't first pass through his will. And so when I can look at myself as scripture looks at me as called, as loved, and as kept, it gives me the spiritual foundation to speak encouraging words to myself. I'm, I'm going to fall down. We're, you know, really... Christian ministry, probably the best sport is is baseball, where y you have multimillionaires that bat 250, which means they, you know, they don't get on base three out of four times, but they still make a great salary because <laughs> we stumble, we fail, we miss opportunities, but because God wants to keep using it, he, he keeps using us. He keeps putting us up to bat. He keeps putting us to the plate. Our name is still in the lineup day after day after day. And so we just have to have that attitude that if we get too down on ourselves, man, I struck out the last three times. It doesn't help us. It doesn't make us more effective. It doesn't increase our joy, our peace, our effectiveness, or our enthusiasm for ministry, which is so important. And so I, I think we just have to realize there is one hero in my life, and it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. Every major figure in Scripture, you see the clay feet where they messed up big time, except for Jesus. Jesus comes through perfectly. And if I make myself the hero of my life, I'm going to hate myself for not living up to what I think I should be. When I make Jesus the hero of my life, I live in gratitude and awe and thanksgiving that I'm sustained by such a capable Lord. Love it. I love it. All right. Well, you know, you've written all these books and you've got this new message that God put in your heart and actually changed your life. When someone grabs this book and they read it and they put it down, what is your hope for the reader on the other side of this book? Two things. I, I hope they'll be, we didn't get into it as much, but just fired up for an enthusiastic, positive ministry of investing in reliable people. Um, I have a 32, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's a different daughter that's 32. She, she's 26. And as she's gone around the country for churches, basically she'll see these guys taken in under the wings of these pastors and they're mentored. And she gets asked if she'd like to serve in the nursery. And I, I just wish that the church would have this vision 
of the impact that every individual could use and, and to go beyond these limitations that we have and invest in these lives. What she would love is a, a woman in her industry or a slightly older woman or something just investing in her and saying, this is how God is using me. This is how what I see God can do in you. So to have that positive, and the reason the positive is so important is that what gives us freedom to walk away from the toxic people. I want to be fruitful. I want to see production in my life. And so I don't want to waste time with the toxic people. But then the second part of that is playing spiritual defense, learning to walk away, that to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is often to walk away from people who are attacking me, who are abusing me. Uh, I think one of the cleverest traps that Satan has launched on this generation of believers is that he knows he can't stop us from caring because God's spirit makes us care. If, if God is within us, we want to love, we want to serve, we want to give sacrificially, and that's all pure and holy and good. What he doesn't want to happen is that love to produce fruit in others. It's like if we looked at God's love as this pure water that would irrigate a field and create a great crop, Satan says, that's what must not happen. So I can't stop the water from flowing onto the field unless I get them to pour it straight down the gutter into the lives of a few toxic people who will sap their energy, make them want to give up, make them question their own sanity, steal their joy, which is their strength, mm -hmm. and waste the opportunities they might have to reach others who are yet reachable. So more offense and more defense. There's mm -hmm. the two things that I want to see readers come away with. So good. So good. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, go get this book when to walk away and find some freedom in your life when it comes to the toxic people. Uh, it, it's out right now. You can go get it. It's I'm sure it's everywhere online, right, Gary? Anything I'm missing yes. there? Yes. No, absolutely. Any, anybody that sells books can get it to you. Perfect. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Uh, my website's the best place to go. If okay. they can remember my name, it's GaryThomas.com. <laughs> and I, I say G-A-R-Y just because I'm fascinated at Starbucks baristas have found about 37 <laughs> different ways to spell Gary. Wow. Uh, it's, wow. That's creative. That's impressive. Name. Yeah. It's, it's got four letters for a start, but uh, it's, it's amazing how many um, R's or other consonants or syllables they'll put in there. So, nice. All right. Well, we can't wait to hear how many people will pick this book up and it's changing their life. And before we wrap the show, we'd love to ask three rapid-fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Question number one is, what is a book that has changed your life? Question number two is, what's a habit that's changed your life? And question number three is, what advice would you give to the younger you? So let's start with one. What's a book that's changed your life? Well, it depends on when you ask me. I, I read about 50 books a year. I love books, and I'm just finishing up William Law, A Practical Treatise on Christian Perfection. I, I've read just about every Christian classic. This one was written a few hundred years ago. It has challenged me and brought me to a level of repentance that is far stronger than, than most Christian classics. And I'm sorry. It's hard for me to do a short answer, so I'll leave it at that. All right. I love it. That's great. 50 right. books a year. That's awesome. This this girl's on a tear. She's she's got the goal for one a week this 52 year. Fifty two this year, yeah. I'm oh wow, for good it. for you. Thank you. Go. Yeah, Audible for the win. Audible helps me <laughs> so much. Try to be like you when she grows up, Gary. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Gary with four letters and G A R Y. Gary. All right, all right. So the second one is, what is a habit that's changed your life? 
Well, I'll just go on that, reading the Christian classics. Uh, people want to wonder the Christian classics. There's just great books throughout the Christian ages. I, I read widely outside of my tradition, and the reason that has challenged me is that it removes the cultural blinders. Mm-hmm. I see the issues that Christians have emphasized through the years. That I think today we're obsessed with sexual sin. All of the classics view pride as the greatest sin, that, mm-hmm. that basically humility is what we should pursue. And mm-hmm. in an age when people are seeking fame and money and physical beauty, trying to stay young as long as they can, they say we need to seek compassion and patience and humility and kindness and all the things that are lauded in the Gospels. And so I just find those to be men and women that are just brothers and sisters in Christ inspiring me hundreds of years or sometimes over a thousand years after they've lived. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Okay, the last question is, what advice would you give to the younger you? Chill out. It's going to turn out better <laughs> than you could imagine. That's so good. I, you know, I, I, I mentioned I, I'm a writer because there's really nothing else that anybody would pay me to do. And so I'm so glad it turned out. But I think I missed some of my early kids' childhood because I was so desperate to see it happen. Mm. I was so colored by the disappointments, eight years of straight rejections. And and if you could tell me where I would be now that we're talking about the 19th book or something and how many copies have been. I wish I could have just laid back and enjoyed those years uh, and enjoyed my kid's childhood. Because you know what? Childhood is a season. When you're in it, it feels like it never ends and take it from an empty nester. It does and it leaves a big silence and a thud enjoy every one of those days and every one of those weekends because you'll miss them oh that's so good that's encouraging that's a good word i know we got a lot of young families listening so i'm sure that was encouraging yep i'm gonna chill out i appreciate that (laughs) it's good hey if, if god were to come to my wife and i today and say i'll give you a month all expenses paid in europe Michelin three-star restaurants, five-star hotels, you go wherever you want, or you could have a weekend when your kids were seven, five, and two, you live in that little townhouse in Virginia with a car that died if you turned two sharp wrong right turns, and your biggest expenditure was a blockbuster movie rental on Friday night while you did laundry and the kids slept. Lisa and I wouldn't even look at each other. We would say, please, please let us go back for that one weekend. So I, I know it's hard because I know there's it's exhausting when you have young kids, but they are truly glorious years. That's so good. Yeah. Agreed. Love it that. goes by fast. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being here. Guys, go grab this book. Tell them you love them and start, start getting the toxic people out of our life. Thanks again for being here. We're really, really excited to have you. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope this episode blessed you and we would love to hear from you. So please take a minute, leave a review on iTunes, hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com or hey, we're on social media. The whole world is, right? Come find us there. We love hearing from you and how these conversations are speaking directly to you. And also you can find all the info for today's episode, all the books and links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We're going to close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.